Today's gospel lesson uh, is in some ways a difficult one. And there's a lot of law in there. Uh, it's easy to see uh, the overt accusation of the law uh, where Jesus says uh, the stone falls on, uh, those who fall on the stone are broken into pieces and those on whom the stone falls will be crushed. As he speaks to the uh, Pharisees and chief priests, the kingdom of heaven will be taken away from you. It's one of those where we may want to respond, this is the gospel of the Lord? It doesn't seem uh, like a very encouraging message at first glance. But when we understand it in context, uh, it offers a great deal of comfort as part of a very closely knit uh, and closely woven narrative of uh, Jesus' coming to Jerusalem on Palm Sunday in Matthew 21. That's a weird green. Hopefully that doesn't give anyone headaches. Uh, The... It didn't look like that on the screen when I put it together. Uh, Matthew 21 begins with the triumphal entry. Uh, Jesus coming and essentially claiming authority over his people as he enters Jerusalem in the, the manner of uh, the coming king. Uh, the, amidst the uh, praises of the people, uh, Hosanna in the highest. Uh, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Uh, praise uh, be to God for the coming kingdom of our father David. Uh, that this is not just a kingly procession, but the kingly procession. Uh, clearly uh, fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah uh, regarding the Messiah uh, who comes as king over his people all time, uh, bringing uh, his eternal peace and reign uh, with him. But not everybody is excited about it. Uh, The chief priests and Pharisees hear uh, the praises of the people and tell Jesus, make them be quiet. Do you hear what they're saying? Jesus tells them, well, if these be quiet, even the stones themselves will cry out. Jesus' authority uh, is immediately challenged by the religious leaders of the Jewish people, uh, but without success. As Jesus comes into Jerusalem, uh, the first thing he does in Matthew's gospel is to assert his authority as the messianic king over his people, and not just a a secular authority, like an earthly king, but divine authority over the people's relationship with God. The first place he goes is to the temple, casting out the money changers and merchants who made God's house of prayer a den of robbers, as Jesus accused them. And having cleansed the temple of this profiteering element, its courts and halls were filled with the songs of little children 
Again, singing Hosanna to the son of David. And again, the chief priests and Pharisees object. Jesus' response is, Have you not read? Out of the mouths of babes, God has ordained praise. Jesus is coming to Jerusalem, asserting his authority as the Messiah, retaking ownership of the relationship uh, between uh, God and his people, which had been corrupted uh, by uh, the religious leaders who were using it as an opportunity for profit. The next day, uh, on Jesus' way back into town, we see the cursing of the fig tree, which is again a kind of troubling text taken in isolation. But in context, we see Christ has come to town to assert his authority, to call his tenants uh, to a reckoning. And the fruit tree that is unfruitful is condemned and withered. Much like we uh, heard about in our Old Testament lesson from Isaiah. The Pharisees and chief priests are again quick to question Jesus regarding his authority to uh, cleanse the temple or anything else. Who, Who died and made you king? Who put you in charge over how people worship? What goes on in the temple and what doesn't go on in the temple? Who do you think you are? Jesus responds to them, I'll answer your question if you can answer my question. Because he knows these are not honest seekers after truth who are earnestly seeking to know him and his identity. Uh, They are calling him on the carpet, trying to put him in his place, and he's going to respond by putting them in their place. Saying, John's baptism, did it come from God or did it come from man? The Jewish leaders have to huddle up to confer over this one. And they immediately realize, well, if we say it's from God, he'll ask us why we didn't believe him. If we say it's from man, the people will turn against us because they hold John was from God. So they give the only answer they can safely, as lame as it is. We don't know. So Jesus says, neither then will I answer your question because, obviously, you don't have the authority to call anyone on the carpet. You don't have the authority to question anyone's authority. You are the ones without authority. But he takes it a step further then and says, let me tell you a story. There was a man who had two sons, and he gave one of them a job. And then the son says, no thanks, I'm not going to do that. I know this is not within any of your experience as parents, that your kids don't do this, but it's a story. Uh, So the man goes to his other son, says, I'm going to give you a job. 
And the son says, I'm on it. Point me in the right direction. But then he doesn't do it. While the son who initially refused has a change of heart and goes and does the father's will. Well, which one of these did what is right? Obviously, it was the one who did his father's will, not the one who merely claimed to. And Jesus applied this to his hearers, telling them, I tell you the truth, the tax collectors and prostitutes are getting into the kingdom of heaven before you. Because when they heard John, they repented and believed. And you did not. Even when you saw the others repent and believe. And Jesus overtly rejects the uh, leadership of the, the chief priests and Pharisees uh, as not only unfit to lead, that they are allowing the, the tax collectors and prostitutes to lead the way, to set the example, and they're not even following. They're not only not leading, they're not even following either. That their leadership stands doubly condemned. And that rolls right into our parable in our gospel lesson today. The story of the rebellious tenants. When a man built a vineyard, uh, much like in our Old Testament lesson uh, from Isaiah 5. Uh, But the problem isn't that the vineyard itself is unfruitful. The problem is with the leadership. The vineyard bears fruit. But when the owner comes uh, to receive the harvest from his tenants, the stewards of the vineyard, he sends messengers who are beaten, killed, and stoned. He sends more messengers who are Received in the same way and worse. He says, I'll send my son. Him they will respect. But the opposite is true. The tenants of the vineyard say, this is the son. He's the heir. If we kill him, the vineyard is ours. Possession is nine-tenths of the law. And if we get rid of that other tenth, there's nothing to oppose our claim to prevent us from exerting soul sovereignty and mastery over the vineyard. And so they take the son and kill him. What will happen uh, to those worthless stewards Jesus asks, and the chief priests and the Pharisees, although at the end of the story it says they realized it was about them, I don't think they'd gotten it quite yet because their answer is, he will put those wretches to a wretched end. Well, Jesus makes it easier for him to figure out after that. He says, I tell you the truth, have you not heard that the stone the 
builders rejected has become the capstone. The vineyard will be taken from you and given to those who will yield its fruit. And Jesus came to reclaim authority over his people. He came as prophesied throughout the Old Testament, not with the vineyard analogy, but in a shepherding context. Throughout Jeremiah and at length in Ezekiel 34, God condemns the faithless shepherds who have failed in their leadership of his flock and says, I will come myself to shepherd the sheep in justice and tenderness. And he does. Jesus came uh, to claim his people as his own, uh, to reassert his right to the vineyard over those who attempted to usurp it from him, to use for their own purposes, for their own glory. And the Pharisees and chief priests knew it. They weren't misguided uh, by their zeal. Uh, They weren't uh, merely ignorant of the Scriptures. Uh, They weren't overly cautious or conservative about uh, honoring someone's claim to be the Messiah. They were not skeptical or ignorant. Uh, They were arrogant, who thought they could claim the right of leadership, ownership of the vineyard, God's people, even over against God himself. So arrogant were they uh, that their, their foolishness was made manifest. Well, they are initially uh, unable or unwilling to uh, make overt action against Jesus because of their fear of the crowds. It didn't take them long to find a sneaky way to get Jesus alone with his disciples, away from the crowds, where they could arrest him, thanks to Judas Iscariot. And haul him before their court where injustice could be done. A mock trial uh, that led to the mockery and beating of Jesus. And ultimately his crucifixion. In their arrogance, they were so blind as to intentionally go down the path they themselves had already described would lead to a wretched end. They themselves had recognized what was going on and said, those wretches will be put to a wretched end. And they did the same wretched thing. Because arrogance blinds us. But Jesus, 
and his authority was real and greater than they knew or appreciated because he rose again on the third day. And the power of the chief priests and Pharisees to oppose him came to nothing. While Jesus, risen in glory, gave his Holy Spirit to a new set of leaders. Well, on Pentecost, we're filled with the Spirit and speaking in the languages of all the people around proclaiming God's ownership. First in Jerusalem, then in Judea and Samaria and around the world. Faithfully proclaiming Christ as uh, the true owner of the vineyard who provides for and protects his people. And that is... The, the most fundamental message of this text is that God will not give up on his vineyard. Though others may lay claim to it and seek to uh, harness it or, or overcome it to make it their own, to subdue it unto themselves, God will not give up his vineyard. The church may go through times of persecution and distress, but the gates of hell itself cannot prevail against God's people because God will not give up his vineyard. God does not give up what belongs to him. He has called the church his own. He has named us and claimed us in holy baptism to be a people belonging to him, his own possession. And he will not give you up to anyone or anything. As we read on through the text of Matthew, that truth is... Uh, unveiled in in, in the most powerful way as we see Christ claims his vineyard in the most marvelous way. He doesn't come and, and just haul the chief priests and Pharisees out and off with their heads, line them up against the wall, uh, one, two, three, fire. Instead, he allows them to kill him. Because not even death must be allowed to separate God from his people. He proves that the worst anyone can throw at him will not be enough. That there is no power or force or authority uh, that can deny him his relationship with his people. Not even death itself, which is the real source of our problem. Long before the chief priests and Pharisees took an enmity to Jesus, we had an even bigger problem standing between us and God. 
ever since the time of Adam and Eve. The power of death that seemed uh, like an unbreakable barrier uh, between us and fellowship with God until Jesus broke through, until Jesus met death head on and rolling away the uh, stone from the entrance of the tomb crushed the power of death and anyone who would use death to keep uh, him away from his people and to keep his people away from him so that nothing can stand between God and you. When we recognize God's fervent love for his people, the lengths that he would go to uh, to provide for and protect his people, uh, to have that relationship with you, so that nothing can stand between you and God. We apply that to our lives by keeping Him uh, in the, the forefront of our, 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 our direction, by following Him and acknowledging Him as our Lord. The vineyard is defined by Jesus and no one else. Uh, the earthly powers uh, may assert themselves as dominant over us, but we know better that nobody and nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. It may also be more subtle things that uh, present themselves as righteous, just as the Pharisees and chief priests did. Uh, to lead us to think that our salvation is based on human wisdom, human traditions, or good works. But none of those things define the church. They may be good things in and of themselves, but they are not the, uh, the governing force of the church. It is not tradition that makes us God's people. It is not our own good works that make us God's people. And the fruit belongs to God and Him alone. And we follow Christ and Him alone because He has made us, redeemed us, daily provides for and protects us. Hourly, minutely, secondly, by the moment, uh, displaying his love and mercy and power for us. Uh, to show us uh, that we belong to him. So that our, our praise and service is due him and him alone. But that also we accept and receive from him all that he has to give. The, one of the key features of this parable, and in some ways the saddest thing of it, 
uh, is that the, the faithless tenants failed not just in that they refused to give to the owner what was the owner's due. They refused to receive from the owner what the owner was giving them. The, the messengers, which represent the, the prophets of the Old Testament, whom God continually sent to his people to guide them and warn them against what was wrong and encourage them toward what is good. The Son himself comes to them. And the, the blessing of God's ownership is that we're not just accountable to give him what is his due, although we certainly are that, but that we're also able to receive from him all the, the love that he has to give for us, the amazing provision uh, that he has made for us, which is so much more than just health, wealth, and prosperity in this life. It's a relationship with him forever. He has given us himself so that we can live with him in everlasting righteousness, holiness, blessedness, uh, now and forever. And may that peace that is beyond all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ as we await the day of his glorious return. Amen.